Our scripture reading tonight is in the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah, if you're like me, I've got to think about this. All right, here we go now. It's Hosea and Joel and <laughs> so on and so forth. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, uh, Micah, Nahum, just to uh, round out those minor prophets. The book of Jonah, chapter 3. This is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through, uh, through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and did not do it. Now, this is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come to you tonight asking for your spirit's ministry. May he brood over our hearts. Lord, quicken us. Reveal to us in your word, your calling, and show us, Lord, application that would be for our encouragement. We pray for the gift of faith, Lord. Impart to us faith. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, we pray. Bless us as we're in your word. Equip us, we ask. For your glory and honor, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we read the storyline of Joah, uh, Jonah, and we say to ourselves, this is one fellow who was really messed up. <laughs> uh, we know his disobedience. We can relate to this. It's something that we all know. The Lord has his call upon our lives. He's called us into discipleship. He's called us to be ambassadors. He's called to live for the glory, called us to live for his glory and for his honor. And so oftentimes we would turn and go the opposite way. The Lord says go and we say no, right? Uh, so we can fully relate to the life of Jonah. We're now in chapter 3 in terms of tonight's message, that is. And we're seeing indeed that, you know the story, he's just been delivered from that great fish. Uh, there's now been life brought from death. Uh, life brought out of death, and in this case, now the man is set upon um, this seashore occasion once again, and we pick up this story where it's now a second time that he's to receive this call. This is start number two 
I'd like to begin, though, have you, having you think about this new year, 2019. And I'd like you to have this firmly in mind, that as you think about 2019, this new year, this calendar year before us, as God would so will, here we are. We would live another 11, 12 months getting through this new year. But let me ask you a question as we, as we begin. Are you approaching this new year in a way where God is at the focus? God is at the center. Are you approaching this new year thinking of God first? And that's to say, as you think of who he is and think of his attributes, that determines everything about 2019. If you're wrestling with some discontent in these days, discontent, your view of God will determine, you see, how you turn from that discontent and remember his generosity and remember his wisdom of imparting to you just that which you need. If you wrestle with anger, maybe it's a passive anger inside, and as you're approaching 2019, your view of God will determine what you do in that wrestling with respect to your anger, whether it be very active and very passive altogether. But the point, once again, is are you seeking control? He's the Lord who's in control. Are you seeking personal privilege that you don't deserve such things? He's the Lord who's made you, who's, de who's designed your life, who's ordered the steps of your days. You see, your view of God will dictate matters of the unfolding calendar in your life in this new year in 2019. And it's through this story of Jonah that we would once again recapture a view of God. And having a view of God, of course, for Jonah, his is having to do with this commission to go to Nineveh and to preach. But God is the focus. God is at the center. God is the one who comes to him. He's passive. So there's a focus upon the centrality of God. And even as we look at this centrality for a few minutes, and as we're thinking about our own lives, let's look at three points about God and his centrality in our lives, particularly here through the lens of the life of Jonah. God is faithful. It's our first lesson tonight. God is faithful being at the center. God's word is vital. God's word in the second place is vital in terms of his own centrality. And then thirdly, God is at work particularly giving the gift of faith. He's central in that he's the God who imparts faith central in imparting of faith. Here's the first one. Our God is faithful. He's faithful in his lordship. He's faithful in his goodness. You see, God's vision is being rekindled once again. And this rekindling of God's own vision here for Jonah is rooted in the Lord's faithfulness. I've mentioned it, but be, be sure and note it. God does the calling to Jonah. Again, it says here, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise and go. It's a recommissioning. God does this. Jonah's the passive one. Jonah's the recipient. Jonah's the one who's receiving this word. The Lord pursues Jonah. And just right there, the lordship of God, God being faithful, that's his lordship. Brothers and sisters of the good shepherd, he's your security. Our Lord is your security. Our Lord as well as the one in his faithfulness with his lordship is to be your incentive for practical obedience day by day. 
He is with you. He comes to you. He's the one who's initiated salvation. He's the one who's initiated calling in your life. This is all pictured here for us in the life of Jonah. We're told here that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's to say, God is the one who's going to commission with a service that, the, that God always likes to have, that enfleshment with the word. He always wants his word and that word of goodness and that word of faithfulness and that word of lordship to be enfleshed. You see, God doesn't merely call the church an abstraction. He calls the church as persons, men and women, boys and girls. Some, as we're learning here, like the king, in places of greater service and a greater stewardship and a station in life, as we would say, and down, down to the least of them. God has an eye even on the least of them. So men and women and boys and girls, to do what? To enflesh the word. That's the role of the prophet, of course, that the prophet would be. The, the spokesperson, the person, the mouthpiece of God, that that word indeed would be enfleshed. And that's all a reminder, right, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Our God is committed to this, 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 this display of teaching and ministry and service and counsel and correction by his word. And this, again, is his faithfulness, his faithfulness showing such lordship there's also again this lordship and god being faithful that he's good we're told here in this passage a second time the word of the lord came to jonah the second time now maybe i, I you know i thought about this later in the week here did not really have time or didn't take the time to study but i wonder if there's maybe some some hebrew mindset going on here we, we, we're probably accustomed in, in doing Bible study that it's very, it's very routine, it's very standard in our Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, that God will repeat things. Just the simple, we sometimes will see it in the Psalms, the parallelism that's found. It's a repetition, slightly different words, but it's the same thing repeated. Here you have two calls, a calling in chapter 1 and a calling in chapter 3. It's Jonah the prophet. So is it, is it the simple reinforcement of the parallelism that we're to get. It could be. Or is it, in fact, the lesson of grace, the lesson of goodness and kindness? Many, many Bible expositors take it just that way. He came to Jonah a second time. This is God's faithfulness in being gracious. God doesn't stop. God doesn't set aside his purposes. Our God is reliable. Our God is trustworthy. He is working and he's working faithfully even when men and women have lost their way. <laughs> it's Jonah. He's gracious. Even when men and women are in their ruin attempting their own ways of carrying out what they think is best or what they know about spiritual matters, about religious devotion. Even when man is spiritually cold, hardened, stiff-necked, God is the one pursuing. He came to Jonah a second time. This is God's graciousness in his faithfulness. Our God is faithful in his lordship. Our God is faithful in his goodness and kindness. And you bring these two together, faithful in his lordship, faithful in his gracious ways and his kind ways, and we see the mighty working of God who's about his purposes. Faithful in lordship with authority, faithful in his gracious ways of being good and kind and merciful, pursuing the stiff-hearted, stiff-necked, 
and hard-hearted Jonah a second time. You bring these two together and you see that our God is the God of purpose. Our God is true to his purpose. This all reminds us of passages like Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and, and, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there's no God who is like me. I'm the one declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, that things yet not done, he says, that my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. This is his lordship, and this is his goodness. He goes on to say, and uh, I will bring it all to pass, all that I purposed, and I will do it. Isaiah 46, listen to me, you stubborn of heart. That's Jonah. That's Good Shepherd Church. That's Pastor Sumter. Listen to me, stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness, and I will bring near my righteousness. It's not far off, and my salvation, it will not delay. What a glorious passage, right? This is God's goodness. This is God's faithfulness. I thought of another passage out of Isaiah as well. Isaiah 65, 1, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. This is the sovereignty of God's gracious ways. Again, it reminds us of the Lord's provision in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father sent his Son into the world. We're told by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 5, but God showed his love for us still while we were still pursuing on a boat going to Joppa, <laughs> right? But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died us I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me once again do you have these kinds of attributes in mind okay Mark we're here at 2019 God has his hand upon my life if he supplies another breath for me yet tonight tomorrow the weeks to come the months to come in this new year what is your perspective of God Remembering his lordship. Remember his goodness and gracious ways of being faithful. Remembering that his purposes stand. Remembering that he's the God in his grace who comes a second time. Such a perspective, you see, turns all around matters of troubles and hardships and concerns and cares that we have. Our God is at the center. Our God is at the center. Let's move on. Secondly, his word is vital. In terms of his centrality, not only do we see these attributes, his lordship, his goodness and faithfulness, kindness and graciousness, and that his purposes will stand, always pursuing us, even in our hard-hearted ways. His word is also vital. Look at some more of the verses here. Chapter 3 at verse 3. Chapter 3 at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And all the people of Nineveh believed God. You have now a deliberate unfolding additional information about Jonah's ministry here, about the word being vital, the word being life-giving, the word being foundational. When we talk about the centrality of God, he displays it by his word, his authority, his power. He is at work with the word. Verse 6 tells us. We didn't read it, but look at verse 6. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. There's got to be 
It's got to be the citizens of Nineveh talking about the word. Neighbor to neighbor, neighbor to neighbor, city official to city official. And the point being, eventually the word reaches the king of Nineveh. Now, we only have a few words about what Jonah preached. And it's a word of judgment. Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, overthrown. And this, this is just a simple word here. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But to say next that they believed God, there had to be more to his sermon, something about who God is. His judgment to come and the, the character of being a God of wrath and a God of righteousness. Being a God who holds to standards. And men have fallen short of those standards. But the summary statement indeed we have here for us, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It's very interesting that there's got to be an emphasis on the preached word here because, you know, now I've marked mine here in my own Bible, but the matter is much of Jonah is the narrative about history, who he is, where he's from, the matter of him neglecting his calling and pursuing and getting on that boat to go to Joppa and not go to Nineveh. Uh, the matter of the great fish and him being in that great fish and the prayer that he uttered. Uh, get on down to chapter 4 and you've got more narrative about Jonah and his own attitude and perspectives about the city of Nineveh and the mercy that God has shown that city. That's to say you have lots of narrative about the history of this man's life. You only have about five or six words about what he said. <laughs> so we're being drawn into the fact that God's word is powerful. <laughs> We're being drawn into the fact that God, with the preached word, is the one working, is the one changing hearts. And that's what you have here at, uh, at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. He is at work in their hearts with the word. Again, Isaiah chapter 55 on the power of the word. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I uh, purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Again, the authority of the word. The word is vital. In the life of Jonah, it's the preached word. In the life of Jonah, we, have just a, we just have the narrative itself, what we're giving in the scriptures, just a few words of this message, showing, that, showing its vitality, showing its authority, showing it to pierce hearts, showing it to correct lives, showing it to bring illumination. This is the power and the authority of the word. It's the story of the awakening grace and kindness of our God in Nineveh and it comes to the very spoken word, plainly addressed to these who are living in unbelief, living in their religiosity of their own self-centeredness. And our God is busy at work over spiritual transactions. Spiritual transactions are happening. Lives are being changed. He's drawing in the spiritually, the spiritually cold. His word is shattering the hard hearts. This is the vitality and the centrality of our God in his word. Has his word subdued you? I think I've thought probably 10 times, if not maybe 110 times over the last couple of weeks, that since we've had some visitors with respect to the Great Wood Sings program, and since we've had a few more 
very encouraging conversations with people of our neighbors, I've thought to myself, Lord, there must be something else that really will draw these folks in. And I forget the word. <laughs> I forget the power of the word. Because I'm having, you know, I drive around and I have these, these meditations going on. You know, maybe it's more friendships. Maybe it's another covered dish meal, you know, even more music. And, and I forget the authority of our God and the vitality of our God, the centrality that's on display, even in the story in Nineveh, that our God works with the word. So Mark, are you giving these dear ones your meeting over here or over here or down the road where we went Christmas caroling that one night? Are you giving them the word, giving them the word? You say that God is at the center of your ministry. He works with his word. And once again, this is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word was made flesh. And then he approached Jesus as the teacher. You know, that's the title that's most often used of Jesus in terms of his office, in terms of what, how they recognized him in earthly ministry. Uh, he's, he's approached as teacher. Uh, we're told several times in the Gospel of John that he's, on, he's sent on a mission. And he's sent on a mission, what? To preach the word. He's mocked and ridiculed as one who you know, didn't go to the ordinary or he, he didn't go to the schools of the, the Pharisees or the scribes or the Sadducees. He, he's, told, he's, he's, he's mocked in John 7. Where did you learn your letters? He's the very son of God. He's the one who's come in the flesh. He's the one who is the word. He is the revelation of God. Once again, just on display for us with the incarnation, our God is committed to using the word. The word is made flesh and it dwells among those. And this is the salvation we need. We need Jesus Christ who is the word in flesh. That we might turn from our sins, not trust in our devices, as I've just put on display for you tonight, things that I would be trusting in. No, Mark, you need the word. You need Christ. And you need his word in your life. And you, you need to be counseling in the word. You need to be displaying the word and giving the word portions of the gospel and teaching someone. Put your cowardice back away, Mark. And in this light, Christ is our Savior. Christ has come, the very one who is truth, <clears throat> to live for us and to die for us. I heard the illustration this week of a climbing party. Being from Alaska, I always relate to these kinds of things. This climbing party, I think this one's actually a story from, from Europe. But this climbing, climbing party would make great progress when the climbing team could keep their eyes on the goal of that peak ahead of them. So on the clear days, their eyes would be lifted up and their their, their whole demeanor and posture would be strengthened. Yes, they're carrying packs. They have their ice axes with them. They're roped up. They're making their way up this terrain. The point is when the peak was clear, on the clear days, and they could see the peak, progress would be made. But whenever there were cloudy days, and they couldn't see the goal, they took their eyes off the goal, or the goal was obscure with the cloudiness of the day and the weather, the inclement weather, then the eyes would go down. 
and the shoulders would become slumped, and they wouldn't make much progress on that day. Are we keeping our eyes on Christ, on his word, who is truth, who came ultimately, chiefly, fundamentally, always imparting the word to those in need? That life-giving word. Remember Peter the disciple, after that time of giving that that extended discourse, that teaching in John 6 about he being the bread of life come down from heaven to be the life of the world. And men and women to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. This was such a hard teaching. Remember what Peter said, Lord, when those disciples were leaving, Lord, should we leave too? You're, you're, we won't leave you. You're, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. Words of eternal life keeping our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the word of truth, the power and the vitality displayed here with Jonah's ministry. He preaches, and God uses that life-transforming message here in Nineveh. The centrality of the vitality of the word. One last one. Our God is central in this passage because he works. He imparts the gift of faith. (laughs) Now, as Reformed believers, those who traffic in the Scriptures and those who traffic in theology, we're well aware about God's lordship and those attributes of his faithfulness and graciousness and generosity and kindness. He is central to us in such ways. And as well as Reformed believers, we know about the centrality of God's word. We open the word. We know it's important. You know, any Reformed church that that has, you know, that, that, that uh, is worth its salt, will use the word in Bible study, will use the word in visitation, will use the word in the preaching, will use the word in counseling, will use the word in meetings and committee work, will use the word, use the word, use the word. But we're, we're rebuked by a passage like this as Reformed believers. Do we have the anticipation That our God being Lord and our God using his word, in fact, it transforms lives. He really and truly, by his word, meets people where they live and their lives will be turned around. Do we pray for conversions? That's a little too experiential. that's what's going on in this passage verse 6 the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne removed his robe covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast herd or flock taste anything let them not feed or drink water but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is the working of our God and his centrality to impart faith and to impart faith where indeed there is the sincerity of repentance and newness and transformation and lives are turned upside down, as we say. Are we trusting our God 
for that grace-gripping reality? Do our prayers show that we're trusting our God, that he's the God who's not only Lord and has authority in his word, but indeed he converts people. And he has a delight to pierce the hard heart with that word and to see it transformed. The people of Nineveh believed God. God works faith. God gives new eyes. God gives new ears. God gives new life. And where we're thinking again in our unbelief, really, truly, where we're thinking that faith is is maybe going to have some work here and perhaps some stirrings. You have evidence here where it's not merely stirrings, but it's total and comprehensive. This is an impartation where lives are actually turned around. He, this king, he stands from his throne, removes his throne, uh, robe, covers himself with sackcloth. He sits down in the ashes. He has this proclamation issued throughout Nineveh. And he tells everyone in the city, look, you follow in this train. This is life-transforming, comprehensive repentance going on. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. See, it's, this is not a temporary faith. This is not a, you know, a short-sighted faith of any kind. This is turning from sin, turning from self-reliance, turning from a temporary fix, and seeing God in his full sufficiency, and that is repentance. That is repentance. This is the impartation of the gift of faith that God is, at, God is central in this passage once again. Transforming power all of his grace, and he is working. What is your vision for 2019? Is God at the center of your life? He is. Are you telling him, Lord, you have it all? You have my home, my vehicle, my schedule, my health, be it up or down. You have our finances. You have every relationship here, Lord, whether it be immediate family, extended family, a neighbor down the street, a coworker, someone I work with, someone who's maybe just a casual acquaintance. Lord, your Lord there. Are the attributes of his lordship and his grace, the vitality of the word, the God who is eager to impart the gift of faith, are such matters of God being central in your heart and life tonight? Jonah, we know, is still needing God's work in chapter 4, right? 
But you see, this is the beauty of the passage. Apart from the results, our God is central. Apart from the fruit that we would like to see, our God is central. Apart from the fruit we would like to see, our God uses his word. It's effective. He's working. He's delivering. He's ministering. Our labor is not in vain because our God rules and our God is the one reigning. And he's leading by his word. So in this new week, bow before your Lord and King, the Lord Jesus, and, 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 and tell him plainly, Lord, you are at the center. Give me eyes to see and a heart that is eager to embrace. And give me a life, O oh God, that shows that I am fixed upon you, the Lord God of heaven and earth. And you display your work and your working and your word. And I will rest in your promises, O oh God. Let's pray. Father, take the counsel of your word and bring to our hearts and our lives that which would uh, truly be the, uh, the focus upon you and repentance in you and strengthen in you. Uh, Christ, you've come. You, you are the deliverer. You're our savior. You're the one uh, dying for us and being raised for us. And the power and the authority is all yours. And you've sent your spirit. And so, oh God, uh, transform our lives. Uh, give us new messages of Christ to spread. Give us hearts fixed upon who you are, what you've imparted to us, your word and the gift of faith. And may we see you at work, O oh God. Uh, we belong to you. Our trust is in you. Uh, we want to be God-centered men and women. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.